This is a talk that uh, Lumpur very kindly uh, recorded this morning before heading out for a bit. Uh, so it's the 24th of March 2021, Wednesday. And we've come to study the Dharma uh, like we normally do. So this Dharma is nature, something which is already here. And whether there's a Buddha who attains to awakening or not, um, this Dhamma is here. And uh, this state, this process of when there's the cause for something to arise, um, then that thing will arise. Um, that's already here, that things follow this course of nature like this. And so this is what the Buddha discovered. Really, he discovered something that was already uncovered. And uh, even the people before him who had attained to very, very refined states of samadhi, uh, these high levels of jhana, they weren't able to understand this. They didn't have the wisdom necessary to see into this. And so we say that the Buddha was one who attained to awakening through his own efforts. He did that by himself. He could find the Dhamma by himself. He didn't have a teacher and uh, he did actually study with some teachers before, and they taught him um, to gain very deep levels of peace, uh, the very highest levels of samatha. And uh, even though these were able to suppress the defilements to a degree, they couldn't pull out the roots of the defilements. And then he went out uh, to practice the austerities and torture his body, and he did this to the most extreme degree. Um, but it was only when he came uh, back to practice meditation to look at his breath and bring his mind to peace that he was able to contemplate into causes and conditions, um, that when there is the cause for something to arise, and that thing will arise. And the Buddha had the most... Uh, profound and refined level of wisdom. And so we could contemplate um, that uh, ignorance gives rise to sankharas, which then give rise to this sense consciousness. And then this flows on to craving and clinging, becoming and birth, and then suffering. And he contemplated this process back and forth, back and forth, until he came to a very clear understanding in it. And uh, he could permanently uh, cut off the defilements at that point on the 15th night of the 6th lunar month. And then he came to teach us this as well. And if we follow these teachings with our own wisdom, um, then we can reach the ending of clinging and attachment as well. It's something that's quite difficult to do, but it's not beyond our capabilities. If we have sincerity, if we are able to endure with difficulties. So in the beginning, we must bring up this quality of kanti, of patient endurance, and have this as the quality that we rely upon. And um, because it's so natural for our minds to go and cling and attach, um, whenever we experience anything, whenever there's an external sense object which meets these internal sense organs, 
um, then the mind goes and latches onto that with such great speed. And it's a habit of our minds. It's been doing this for a long time, been attaching to things. And uh, this is because of the delusion present in the mind. And so all of the defilements, they have their roots, and the roots are that of greed, hatred, and delusion, the root of all unskillful qualities. So the Buddha taught initially we need to sacrifice, we need to be generous, because when we have a self, then we have this me and mine. And so many people um, really want to find many possessions, and they would like to gain everything in the world. They want to be like that, to gain all the wealth of this world. And even if they become a deva and experience the great happiness of those celestial realms, if they could, they would want to own everything in the heaven realm as well. But even if we can do that, this isn't going to lead us out of suffering. So the Buddha taught um, that when we have the sense of self, uh, we need to give up some of the possessions that we have. We need to let go of them. And uh, some people may do this with the attitude that they're giving in order to get something in return. They're giving in order to get happiness, maybe happiness in the next life. But don't worry about that. It's not wrong to give uh, thinking in that way, wanting happiness in return in the future. <laughs> but the truth is that when we're hungry and we eat, then we feel full right now. If we're hot and we take a shower, we feel cool right now. If we're cold and we turn on the heater, then we get warm right in the present moment. It's not something that happens some other time. And so the goodness that we develop is the same. When we do that, then we feel at ease. We feel comfortable right here in the present moment. And for all of us, we are people who do these things already. We develop skillful qualities. We uh, cultivate goodness, that of generosity, of virtue, of helping out in society, of expressing our delight in the good deeds of other people. We all practice meditation. We correct our views. We build up goodness in this way. This is something that we all do. And uh, so we do need to come to, to train our minds as well, this practice of bhavana, of meditation and mental cultivation. Uh, because if we don't train our minds, then they won't be experiencing peace. And there's no way that we're able to gain a clear understanding into nature even though nature is already revealed already. And why is that? It's because there are things which are there obstructing, covering over our minds. And that which obstructs the mind is all the thoughts that we have, all of this proliferation, whether it's about good things or bad things. And uh, the anger that we experience, and the aversion, the ill will that comes up. And then there's the love that we have towards ourselves, that we have uh, this me and mine, and the delusion that we have in this, that there is a me and there are others as well. And uh, there's also the sights that we see, these forms that we get attracted to. I'm thinking that 
there's really something lovely and beautiful about these bodies. And so these are the things which obstruct the mind from experiencing peace. And there's also the things we experience that we don't like, which uh, provokes anger and ill will in the mind. And so the mind doesn't experience any calm um, at uh, when it's always agitated by these things. And sometimes we're not really doing anything at all. There isn't really anything that's happening, and yet we still feel annoyed. A feeling of anger comes up. We may just be um, sitting there, and the mind is all scattered. So it's thinking without stop. It's always proliferating. And the mind is able to proliferate about all kinds of things, a whole manner of things. If we feel afraid, then the mind will pick that up and start to spin a story about fear. If we feel love, then it will uh, bring up a narrative based on love. If we feel hate, then it will start thinking hateful thoughts. If we like something, if we're deluded by something, um, then it will give rise to a narrative of liking or a very deluded narrative. So these are all the sankharas, these proliferations, the mental formations of the mind. And this happens because of the delusion that we have, that there really is a me and I really own things. But sometimes when we experience something, um, then we feel indifferent to it as well. This is also possible. So all of these things that we experience, all of the sights, all of the sounds, the smells, the tastes, the tactile sensations, all of the thoughts which come up in the mind, um, these are all natural phenomena. And if we know them as they're occurring, as they arise, then we see that they don't have any agenda of their own. They just arise and then they cease. Uh, but if our mindfulness isn't up to speed, then we go and attach onto them, taking them as being me and as mine, and this happens constantly that I'm the one who sees, I hear, I smell, I taste, I touch, I feel. And this all becomes the cause for suffering to arise, even though we don't want to suffer. So we really should train our mind at something appropriate for us to do, to cultivate samadhi, to meditate. And sometimes when we have the opportunity, we can uh, participate in a meditation retreat, and doing this is good because it allows our practice to become continuous. We can constantly study the Dhamma without letting any spaces arise in between. But if we have to go out to work um, and then come back and practice and then go out to work, and then this brings up spaces, gaps in our practice. And sometimes you may be sitting meditation and the mind may be very, may be very close to a state of deep peace, but we have to leave that because we have duties and work to attend to. And so it's difficult then to develop samadhi. And so when our lives are like that, when we do have duties and work, then we need to be mindful and always have this mindfulness there, taking care of the heart. We need to uh, be building up goodness and merit very frequently. And uh, contemplating to see all things as being empty, and in doing that, we are contemplating into the Dhamma. And so all of us should be contemplating a lot 
contemplating that there isn't really a me, there isn't really a mine. Um, these things just aren't there. Um, they don't actually exist, and I am not actually right. And what that means, I am not right, is that is that this me, it's not actually correct, it's not actually there. And they are not actually there either, and that there isn't really a self there. And so there isn't a being, there isn't an us, there isn't an other. And where do these beings come from? Well, they're not actually there. Everything is anatta. Um, it's not appropriate to take anything as a true self, that all these things are empty. And by everything is empty, what we mean is that all materiality, all mentality, all of this is empty. So we should contemplate in this way to see things, see everything as being anatta, contemplate anatta, this not-self. And this is appropriate for those who have wisdom, uh, to contemplate all things as being empty. And it's something that's quite easy, an easy practice to take up. And especially when we have this time to uh, engage in a meditation retreat, we see everything as being uh, vimuti, as being liberation. So we can practice consistently, uh, see all forms, all feelings, all perception, all mental formations, all sense consciousness, all of this as anatta, that there's no me there. Uh, whenever the eye sees a form, uh, for instance, uh, then we contemplate that all these things, they're all anatta. And so all things in the world are like that. And uh, the sun, uh, this is uh, just a ball of gas that is constantly combusting. And so that combustion uh, produces light. But that's always arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing constantly. It's not something that stays forever. And the world is the same. The solar system is the same and everything in it. It all arises and ceases. And everything in this world arises and ceases. And that's the nature of it, the nature of everything in the universe. And then there is this knowing element, the mind, which uh, is aware and conscious of all these things. But this too arises and ceases. It's not something permanent. So contemplating in this way, what we're doing is we're um, using these um, objects of vipassana, um, and in this case, anatta, not self, using this as the object of the mind. Uh, so we should train ourselves like this and do this frequently, um, continually practice in this way, and it's the right way to go about it. Uh, but we need to be cautious, however, because if we have this desire to see and to know the Dhamma, then that can uh, bring up suffering within us. Uh, but if we are just in our normal state, everything's just naturally how it is, then there isn't any suffering there. It's when we receive and come to know a sense impression, that's when suffering arises for us. So therefore we need to train ourselves in order to bring about skillfulness to completion. And we do that through practicing meditation. So this quality of samadhi is able to suppress 
these sense impressions, um, which obstruct the mind from reaching peace. And so the mind in this state feels very at ease. There's joy, there's rapture that comes up, and the body can feel like it expands, like it's very big, or it sways back and forth. And we shouldn't get confused about this or start to worry about it. And we may read about these states in the scripture, and this is what happens when the mind is rapturous, and this rapture grows and grows, and then it turns into the state of uh, sukha, <clears throat> that of pleasure or happiness. And the body can feel very firm and very compact, and has a lot of energy, and the mind gets energy too from samadhi. And when it withdraws, withdraws from the state, then it has that power um, to it. And in the state of samadhi, um, the aramanas, the sense impressions, they're not able to gain entry into the heart, even though there is still this sense contact that's happening. It doesn't uh, go into the heart, and the heart feels very at ease. It feels uh, very comfortable at this point, and the mind is firmly established in samadhi. So samadhi brings us benefit to one degree. It can bring us one kind of peace, but it's not genuine peace. However, it is the peace that leads us towards wisdom, that can allow us to see everything as being not-self. So when we contemplate into this nature of not-self, then the mind can gain peace through that contemplation. It can gain samadhi through that kind of contemplation. So this is the method of using wisdom to develop samadhi. And when the mind has gained that samadhi already, then we come back and contemplate anew. See, all physicality and mentality as being not-self, and we can gain a genuine understanding into this, a real clear insight. And the mind then separates out from all these sense impressions. It separates out from the body. And it can see that the body is really not me, it's actually not mine. And the mind is very at ease here, it's very radiant. And it can gain this nibbana, a temporary nibbana, this coolness that comes up in the heart. So as we carry on practicing, then our samadhi gains more and more energy, and our wisdom becomes more and more clear. And the mind then leaves the world. It leaves the whole universe. It sees all of this, everything, in the universe. The entire universe is being empty. It sees that really there isn't anything there. And there's such great happiness to the heart when it sees that. But it's not actually that the mind goes anywhere. All of this happens within the heart itself. It sees within itself that everything is empty. And the mind experiences emptiness, becomes empty then. And there's this real profound happiness, happiness that comes from this great peace. So we see that Nibbana is the highest happiness. And even though we may experience it just temporarily, it's still this very profound and uh, high happiness. So walking this path is that of maga, of sila, samadhi, and panya, of uh, virtue, uh, collectedness, and wisdom. Or another way we could phrase it is that of generosity, of virtue, and of mental cultivation. 
So we should really firmly walk this path. We have the faith to do this, and we should put in our sincere intentions uh, to really practice in this life, to gain an understanding of the Dhamma that the Buddha taught in this life. Uh, Because the Buddha is right here in front of us, and if we see the Dhamma, then we see the Buddha. Uh, We see the truth there uh, for us, the truth of this world, that which is already open and revealed, the truth of old age, sickness, and death, that there isn't a genuine self uh, here, uh, that the world is is this way, and the whole world and everything in it is anatta, is not self. So we contemplate separating out, separating out the elements, separating, separating out the khandhas, And uh, it can be easy to do this when the body dies and the mind then separates out from the body. It can see clearly that this thing isn't actually me. But it's also possible to do that while we're still alive, while we still have a body. And we contemplate into the nature of this body. And if we have samadhi, then we can do that. We can see it clearly. And so just as um, a farmer, a rice farmer, goes out into the fields every day and plants their rice and then harvests the crops. And uh, they gain uh, the results of that labor. Or someone who has a fruit orchard, they tend to those trees every day and they gain the fruits of their work. And so it's the same with our practice of meditation. And we do this every day and we will gain the fruits of Uh, our work, of our labor. And so we contemplate seeing everything as not self, as anatta, as empty. And then this path of sila, samadhi, and panya comes together and we see see into things clearly. We can genuinely see into this nature of anatta, perceive that this body is just a robot. It's not actually me. The bodies of all beings are like that. It's just a a biomechanical contraption and see the bodies of all beings as just like puppets that are, are tottering around that there's no being there there's no me there's no them these things they're not actually there and we see all people as being this way but if we see people as actually being people that's because the mind isn't still it's because our samadhi isn't firm and wisdom hasn't arisen So may all of you train a lot, carry on practicing, to not retreat, to really firmly put in your effort, to have this uh, firm intention. And in the end, you will succeed. But the success, it happens little by little. And um, so we have this firm intention, and we have this already, to cultivate merit, to build up goodness. And all of us, we are people with merit. We all have good fortune. And so we should practice in this way. And if we do so, then we will see clearly uh, into these teachings in this very life. And so may all of you grow in blessings.